This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. With another hour of radio drama, this is the Relic Radio Show. Thanks for joining me this Tuesday. We'll begin this week with Escape. Hear their adaptation of Rudyard Kipling's The Drums of the Fore and Aft. That episode aired July 14th, 1949. After that, it's Grand Central Station and their story from June 1st, 1946, titled The Man I'll Never See. Suspense, which is usually heard at this hour on Thursday nights, is taking its customary summer holiday. Suspense returns to the air seven weeks from tonight on Thursday, September 1st. are deep in the remote hill country of Afghan, face to face with the fierce Bataan warriors, trapped into a hopeless fight from which there seems no escape. We offer you escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to the north of India and to a battle long remembered, as Rudyard Kipling described it in his famous story, The Drums of the Fore and Aft. When I came out from England to serve as a news correspondent with the British troops on the northwest frontier of India, I was attached to a regiment known as the Four and Fit, Princess Hohenzollern's own Royal Light Infantry. Four and Fit. But now, behind their backs, men call them the Four and Aft. When certain words are shouted in front of other barracks, the troops may come out with belts and fists, but the mere whisper of Four and Aft brings out the men of this regiment with rifles in their hands and murder in their eyes. I think perhaps the story of how the fore and aft got its name may be really more the story of Jakin and Piggy Lou, two of the toughest and most lovable little monsters who ever banged a drum or tooted a fife in a military band. They were both about the same age, with curly hair and the faces of cherubs, and inside were two souls that should have belonged to a pair of devils. I must have seen them before, of course, but the first occasion I can recall was at an informal court the colonel was holding in the orderly room one morning. Piggy and Jakin were there, and they were in trouble, as usual. All right, Sergeant. Read the charges. Yes, sir. The charge is made by one Smithers, a civilian, that while walking back of the bazaar at 6 p.m. last evening, he was set upon without provocation by two drummers from the regimental band known as Jakin and Peggy Lou, and by them was beaten into near insensibility. Well, uh, go on, Sergeant. Mr. Smithers states further that he was struck down by the two defendants and while lying on the ground was kicked 
repeatedly in the face and ribs, escaping with his life only through the timely arrival of a detachment of the guard. That's all, sir. Well, what about it? Jakin? Piggy? Is this the truth? Oh, yes, sir. We gave him what for, all right. That will do, Piggy. Yes, sir. All right, Sergeant. Turn them over to the bandmaster and have him tan their hides. Yes, sir. Come on, you... Oh, wait Come a on. minute. <laughs> Begging your pardon, sir, but can't we say nothing in our own defence? Oh, what if a blooming civilian said he'd report you for having a bit of a barney with a friend? Suppose he tried to get money out of you, sir, and then he... That will do, Piggy. You were fighting. Well, only between ourselves, sir. <laughs> that doesn't count. We can't have no blinking civilians interfering with the business of Our Majesty's regiment. All right. We forget the birching. But you're both confined to quarters for three days. Oh, but, sir... All we... right. Dismissed. And uh, throw away that pipe you've got outside, Piggy. You're too young to be smoking. Yes, sir. Come on. Come on. Ah, confound it, Kipling. I don't know what to do with the lads. They're not really bad at heart, and they've never known any home with the army. Hmm. Where do they come from, Colonel? Oh, Jakin is from some back street in London, and Piggy Lou is straight off the Calcutta docks. Oh. And in both cases... Ancestry unknown. <laughs> well, they seem loyal enough to the regiment, at any rate. They are, and loyal to each other in their own way. I'm inclined to think sometimes they've got more real spirit than all these new regulars put together. Hmm. Um, aren't you a bit overloaded with green troops, Colonel? Overloaded? My dear fellow, 90% of the regiment were in Manchester factories or Lancashire farms six months ago. Can't make a soldier that length of time. Hmm. Any chance of action very soon? Between ourselves, Kipling... We'll probably move north in about ten days. Oh, no. Well, no, not to the front, of course. We'll give them a few months to shake down before they go into action. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, it's the only thing to do. There's one thing certain. This regiment is not ready for action yet. Only, uh, don't write that back to your paper. But the gods who govern armies seldom choose the wisest plan. On the Afghan border, a large force of Pathan guerrillas began massing near the Khyber Valley being held in check temporarily by a regiment of Highlanders and a regiment of native Gurkhas. A week later, the four and fit, a regiment totally unprepared for action, was ordered to march north, contact the two regiments, and carry out a joint action to disperse the enemy. Parade ground and barracks began to hum with preparations for the coming campaign. Privates walked with a new swagger, and the young officers nearly shot one another at pistol practice. But to Piggy and Jakey, the excitement was like salt in an open wound. For the band was reduced to 20 men, and the drummer boys were being left behind. Blimey, I won't let him do it to me, Jakin. Me, what's going to have a career in the army being left behind like an old boot. Oh, why should you worry? Now you can stay here with that blooming girl of yours. Oh, what's a girl when the regiment's going to the front? And besides, how am I to explain to her about being left behind with the women? What do you have to explain anything to her for? She's only 13. I've been telling her I'd get myself a medal when the first campaign came along. And how am I to do it now? I heard in the barracks they're going to take Tom Kidd along. He's to be the bugler. Of course, he's 18, though. He may be 18, but I can plaster the wall with him any day, and with one hand behind my back. Perhaps we could bash him round a bit. Oh, just enough so as he can't bugle no more. You could hold his hands, Piggy, and then I'll kick him in the... No, 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 he still wouldn't take us. 
Our reputations ain't what they might be, you know. Yeah. Oh, well, for myself, I'd just as leave stay here and do a bit of loafing. With our own regiment going into action? Why, I does leave have my... Oh, look who's coming. It's the blooming colonel himself. And so it is all alone. You know, checking my boy, I think I'll go and have a little talk with the colonel. You wait here. Have you gone daft with the east? Here, catch my pipe. Blimey, now we're in for it again. <clears throat> Begging the colonel's pardon, sir. Right, what, what's that? Well, Piggy, I... are the drums in revolt? Oh, no, sir. I, I, I'd like the pleasure of a word with you, sir. All right. Go ahead and have it. Well, sir, if you thought the world and all of your regiment, and it was going off to active service without you, sir, then how'd you feel? I, uh, hmm, I... I'm afraid I feel a bit left out of things. Well, that's how Jaikin and me feels about it, sir. You've no idea what a campaign can be like, Piggy. Why, you'd flop in your face in the first 20 miles. Oh, no, we wouldn't, sir. We're good at marching. I've told my girl I'd bring her back a medal. I've just got to go. I see. Uh, think you could pass a physical? Not the slightest doubt of it, sir. We're both of us very healthy for our age. All right. I suppose it's unheard of for a regiment on the border to take drummers along on active service. But uh, if you can pass the medical officer, you can both go along. Blimey! We're going to the front! Oh, I mean, thank you, sir. Oh, I mean, Jaken! 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 The regiment marched out of the station two days later, and all those left behind lined the road that led past the parade ground. The band stood by and played them out, waiting to fall in at the rear of the column. And although Jakin perspired and beat on his drum manfully to cover up, it was quite evident that Piggy Lou was not with the band. Jakin kept glancing at the cedar hedge behind him, and I had a pretty good idea why Piggy was being detained. You've just got to be awful careful and, and take real good care of yourself, Piggy. You're so venturesome. I'd worry all the time. It's hard, Chris. I'll grant you it's hard, but what's a man to do when his regiment's called on active service now? Yeah. Give us another kiss. Oh, Peggy. Mm. <laughs> That's more like it. If you'd have stayed here like you'd ought to, you could have had as many as you wanted. And if I'd done that, Chris, you wouldn't think anything of me. Like as not, but... Well, at least I'd have had you with me, Piggy. And all the thinking in the world ain't like kissing. And all the kissing in the world ain't like having a medal to wear on the front of your coat. Oh, who cares about a medal? Just stay with me, Piggy, darling. And I love you true forever. Aren't you going to do that anyhow, Chris? You said you was. Oh, of course I am, but it'd be lots more comfortable if you stayed here. Don't take on about it, Chris. I'll be coming back. And I'll marry you someday, too. I promise. Oh, but when? Years and years, perhaps. You'll be careful, won't you, Peggy? Well, a man has to take his chances in the army, Chris, but if it happens, I'll be thinking of you right to the last. Oh, don't talk like that. Oh, now, here. Yeah. Give us a kiss. Peggy! 
Come on over here. We're about to fall in. Oh, I've got to go now, Chris, my love. Don't you be forgetting me. Oh, I won't ever, Piggy. Here, I, I made something for you to take with you. What is it? It's a button bag. All the regular soldiers carry them. I've put some of me air in it. Well, now, that's awful kind of you, Chris. Oh, it ain't made so well, but I didn't want nobody else to help me. Not even Mum. I'll carry it right over my heart, so long as I'm alive. Oh, don't say things like that. Piggy, come on. Give us one more kiss now. I can't stay no longer. Oh, Piggy. Goodbye, Chris. Take care of yourself. Goodbye, Piggy. Be careful. Oh, be careful. I'll be coming round to see you, Chris, my love, when I get back from the war. Oh, Piggy. Well, it's about time. And lucky we're not both in trouble. Here, stick this blinking fife in your ugly mouth and blow on it. Petticoat chaser. Just beat your drum, soldier, before I decide to beat on your ruddy head a bit. Tell the colonel he can shove off now. A great hour on CBS Friday night is This is Broadway. Rising stars bring you their top acts and their problems for the future to Clifton Fadiman, Abe Burroughs, and George S. Kaufman, three show business experts ready with advice. Be sure to hear This is Broadway tomorrow night and every Friday night on most of these same CBS stations. And now, we return to the second act of Escape and tonight's story, Drums of the Fore and Aft. And so the four and fit went north to the wars. First by troop train, and then on foot, when the last railhead left them with a seven-day route march before they'd reached the front up ahead. And during those seven weary days, the regiment began to crack. The men weren't hardened to the long miles of marching, and they found themselves dead tired before noon of each day. The food was bad, and the water was worse. And on the second day, the snipers started in. They would hide in the tumble rocks of the low brown hills beside the road and wait for the column to pass. The first sign of one would be a flash and a puff of smoke. And some man on the long line of march would die without ever seeing the enemy who'd killed him. And even at night, the tired and nerve-shattered men could find no rest. If anything, the night hours in the dark tents were a good deal worse than the daylight hours on the dusty road. Oh, shut up, Piggy. I've got to get myself some sleep. As if I ain't marched just as far as you have. Oh, my feet's fair killing me. Uh, Well, it serves you bloody well right for getting us into this. We could be back in the barracks now. Living on the fat of the land. And halfway to becoming musicians, like as not. In which case, I'd be sleeping in a regular bed and having some decent grub to eat for once. I'm afraid you're not the army type, Jake, and perhaps I shouldn't have talked my friend, the colonel, into letting you come... Shut up in there! Sign that tent before I come in and take a belt to you. Yes, sir. Yeah. You don't have to go calling a blinking sergeant, sir. There ain't no harm in it. Ah! 
Sentry's got himself killed out there. Oh, them Patong beggars can sneak up in the dark without making a sound. Then they take their bloody long knives and slice a man All open right. as neat as you please. Hold your fire till you see what you're shooting at. I wonder what they look like, Piggy. These here Patongs. What's it matter when we can't even carry rifles? I ask you now, Jake, and look at this in my hand. How's a man to get himself a medal when all he's got for a weapon is a blooming fife? Late afternoon of the seventh day, weary, savage, and sick, their uniforms dulled and unclean, the four and fit rendezvoused with the Highland Regiment. Hey, lads, here comes the new regiment, the four and fit. The four and fit, eh? And may I ask you, what is it they're fit for? <laughs> some of the men bore wounds and some with stretcher cases. But the real casualty was the regimental morale. These raw recruits had marched out of their station in the south with the band playing, and somehow they'd imagined they might march gloriously into battle the same way. But no band played when they slugged to a stop at the brigade encampment. <sighs> me. Look at them chaps over there wearing petticoats. A lot, you know. They're islanders, me lad. And I've heard a man had best take no liberties with him. Oh. Well, Picky, do you think we found the ruddy wall at last? What else? Ain't that a full-blown general over there talking to our colonel? Had a bit of a... Rough time of it coming down, sir. My men have been rather mauled and no chance of a fair return. They only want to go someplace where they can see what's before them. I understand, Colonel. I wish I could let you have a few days to recover, but I simply can't spare you just now. Oh, there'll be no need of it, sir. All we're wanting is one good night's rest. I see. Well, you can pitch your camp next to the Highlanders, Colonel, and I suggest you call a general inspection before dark. We plan to attack the enemy position at dawn. Very good, sir. So, it's active service you wanted, Piggy, eh? And how much longer do you think they're going to keep us standing here with the bloody daylight barely coming over the hills? Just take a look at them patans out there on the plain. Must be eight of them to one of us, right down the line. It makes it that much easier to get a medal. Now, how do you hope to get a medal? Maybe you're going to blow their bloody eardrums in with your little fife. More like it. We'll not even have a chance to see how the beggars look. The band, as you might have heard, is going to wheel and retire when we reach them rocks out there, while the regular soldiers go in and attack the enemy. Which, I might say, is exactly the way I'd plan it myself. I got no fondness for being sliced up like a leg of lamb. Ah, you got no spirit, Jaikin. Them as want spirit can have it. As for me, I... Oh, oh. here we go, Piggy. Right, you Jakin. Ready now. The two, and the right, we march! Watch yourself now, Jakin, and step lively. Just keep your eye on me, and I'll make a bloody hero out of you. Only someone had blundered. Someone had misread an order. And the four and fit moved out onto the plain to attack the enemy force alone. The 
pouring fits moving out. At the clump of rock, the band wheeled and halted and continued to play, while the ranks opened to form a skirmish line and moved slowly ahead. Hold steady, laddies. We have no orders to move out, and therefore we'll stand fast the new. If the four and fit wishes to fight like hogs, then they'll at fight. At 500 the yards range from the enemy line, the regiment began firing at will. At will and wildly. In a few minutes, they'd thrown away half of their ammunition and blinded themselves with their own smoke. And farther out on the plain, the Afghan army stood quietly, firing occasional well aimed bullets into the milling herd of oh, green the troops. Fools, they're bunching like a herd Suddenly, of from the main body of the Afghan troops, a small band of about 50 Pathan warriors charged forward and fell upon the startled Englishmen. These were the Ghazis, the suicide squad, always thrown out ahead of the Afghan army before any main test of strength. Swinging their long, heavy knives, they struck the close-packed British By line. the name of heaven, don't they extend into open order? They'll be the poor and fit wavered, reeling away from the vicious slashes of the murderous bone-handled knives, rallied for an instant and held, then broke, turned tail, and ran. <laughs> Look at them laddies. They turn and run. I might say they make better speed to the rear than they made to the fore. Uh, they're anything but four and fit now. More like it to call them the four and aft. <laughs> It'll take them a long time to live that one down. The four and <laughs> The regiment took no thought for the wounded, for the men left behind. Nor did they stop until they jammed in the pass that led up to the hill. And the band, too, was carried along with them in their headlong flight. All the band, except two men. Piggy, you think them bloody Patan beggars can see us hiding here in the rocks? Oh, of course not. Well, I hope you're right. Bloomin' cowards, running away. Now, weren't that a fine way for a British regiment to act? Had we done the same thing, we'd not be left behind here the way we are. Now, what's got into you? You're comfortable, ain't you? I may be comfortable, but I ain't easy in my mind. Ah, put a sock in it. Hey, hey, look, somebody's dropped the canteen here. Mm. Maybe it's got rum in it. Well, well, now, how can you hope to tell by shaking it? Here <laughs> now, keep your dirty hands off it. I'll do the trying it out. Well, is it picky? Is it? No, it's water. Oh. Here, have yourself a free drink on Her Majesty, drummer boy. Right, sir. Jacob, look. What? Them pretend beggars is starting back for their own lines. Hey, keep your head down. Well, well, now with the blooming enemy retiring, perhaps our lads will come out and rescue Not us. Not them, the bloody cowards. Well, don't they know the Patans ain't chasing them no more? They can't see nothing but their own precious skins. Half-bum-mo. Maybe we ought to give them a little music. Show them it's all nice and cosy out here now. What? Do you want us to go and get our blinking selves shot? Oh, they ain't no enemy close by now. Come on, Jacob, take up your bloody drum there. Here, are you positive there was only water in that canteen? Oh, uh-huh. so like as not you're a coward too, the same as the rest of the regiment. What? I'll show you who's a coward, piggy, my boy. Here, take your blooming fife. There, and stick it in your ugly face. Well, now, so you have got a bit of spirit. Maybe I'll speak to my old friend the Colonel about it. Oh, shut up and start blowing. Are you ready? Ready all. Now. 
Where is it we're going to march to, Piggy? Back and forth a time or two in full sight. Then we'll wait in the rocks for the battle to start. Are they watching us? Hmm? <laughs> yeah, they're watching us. Oh, yes. <laughs> they're watching us, all right. Time held still, and even the Afghan snipers forgot their weapons, while two armies watched the tiny, red-coated figures marching back and forth on the battlefield alone. Aye, and I'll tell you for certain, there's a pair of brave laddies down there. All right, you bleeding cowards! Look at them out there! Are them two children the only brave men in the regiment? The men of the fore and aft lifted their heads, fingered their rifles, and stared without moving. And out there on the silent plain, back and forth marched Jakin and Piggy. Have we got to play these blooming instruments all day long? Ain't the blighters ever going to come back? Shut up, Jakin. Keep playing. Well, all I might say is, I shouldn't have ever let you talk me into this. I ain't cut out for active service anyway. I should bloody well feel more comfortable if I was back in the barracks. <laughs> I was back in... Jaken. Jaken. You bleakin' heathen blighters! You've killed Jaken! All right. I'll show you who's afraid of you! armies saw them die from the sniper's bullets. Two armies and the men of the fore and aft. All right, men of the regiment. What now? Those two at least were brave enough to know how to die. Pigs! Bayonets! This time we attack and there'll be no turning back! Look at them, laddies. The fore and aft, they're going back to fight. Aye, look at them run. That's how it should have been done the first time. Aye, laddies, and now is the time for us. Orders or no, here's where we join the fight. Company, prepare to charge. Charge! Late afternoon saw the Afghan army wiped out. And the general explained to me how everything had gone according to his plan and how he hoped I'd cable that back to my paper in London right away. I turned and left him then and walked across the silent battlefield, walked out among the silent dead. The two tiny figures lay quite close together, Jakin fallen across his broken drum, and Piggy Lou with the fife still clenched in his dirty fist. A bulge under his tunic caught my eye, and I reached in and drew out a button bag, embroidered crudely with the name Chris. I made it for you myself, Piggy, darling, and I put some of my own hair inside of it. I'll wear it right next to my heart, Chris, so long as I'm alive. 
I thought how Chris would soon forget, and how the world's memory is no longer than hers. The sun was sinking away into the west. The button bag in my hand was soaked, damp, and over the left breast of Piggy's grimy uniform, over the pocket where decorations are usually worn, a brighter red stain had spread out through the coarse wool, looking very much like the bright red ribbon that goes with a medal. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Tonight we have presented Drums of the Fore and Aft by Rudyard Kipling, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield. Featured in the cast were Ben Wright as Rudyard Kipling, Hugh Thomas as Piggy Lou, and Terry Kilburn as Jakin, with Colleen Collins, Ramsey Hill, Alec Harford, Wilms Herbert, and Tudor Owen. Special music arranged and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Next week... You are hanging by your fingertips on the sheer face of an ice cliff, suspended a thousand feet above instant death, with your strength running out and with no chance for escape. Next week, we bring you an adventure tale, Action by C.E. Montague. Be sure to tune in at this same time next week when once again we offer you Escape. In just a few minutes, Casey, crime photographer, embarks upon another adventure with death. Tonight's adventure is called Crazy Like a Fox. Join crime photographer on most of these same CBS stations. Tip Corning speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. whistle of passing trains are like remembered lullabies. But to Gordon Gray, turning and twisting on his bed, those whistles are a maddening reminder that time is passing all too slow, and that he is still unable to fall asleep. In the dark, his fingers grope for a cigarette. He strikes a match. Then, with an exclamation of disgust, he puts the thing down. There's no flavor. No flavor in living this way. Fear and dread. Waiting. Just waiting. But the very next whistle is tortured nerves. Give way. Aunt Sally! Aunt Sally! Aunt Sally! Gordon, darling, what is it? Please turn on the light. Aunt Sally. I can't stay in this bed any longer. I'm not tired or sleepy. I want to get out of this room, out of the house, even for a little while. But, Gordon, it's past midnight. In the morning, we'll go out for a nice long walk. No, I want to go out now. You don't know what it's like. Being 
hopeless like this. I know, Gordon, but soon it'll all be over. After your operation... After the operation, after the operation. And Sally, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Then we won't talk about it, dear. Now, try to go to sleep, won't you? Good night. I said good night, Gordon. Good night, Aunt Sally. That's better. I've turned off the light. She left the room, and I listened in the dark for the rustling of the trees outside my window. The only sound was an endless freight train, and as it faded toward New York, I thought I could almost hear the molecules dancing in the lifeless air. But then, sounds become all too vivid to the ears of a man who is blind. I lay there in the dark, my ear resting on my wristwatch. Listening to the minutes tick away. Fast galloping seconds, but long, dark minutes. I waited till I thought Aunt Sally and Uncle Henry were asleep. Then, when the house was still, I got out of bed, dressed, and quietly sneaked out of the house. As soon as I reached the sidewalk, I began counting my footsteps as I walked, so that I could find my way back to the house. Ten, eleven... Twelve, eight. I had reached the corner and turned back to the house. When I had again measured off my 208 steps, I moved up the walk leading to the front porch and into the house. I started up the steps to my bedroom, and then I heard... I said you'd better go. Stop playing that piano, it's late. You still like this song. I even liked you once. Now please get out of my apartment and out of my life. You have all you want from me, it's time you lived up to your part of our bargain. Bargain? Did we have a bargain, darling? You promised to leave town as soon as I gave you the money. Oh, oh you mean this $5,000? Well now surely you don't call that money. Not a man with your bank account. You promised. Less than 30 minutes ago. <laughs> Listen to me, Jimmy. You might as well face the facts of life. I'm a woman who knows a good thing when I see it. I'll let you know when I think you've paid enough. That's all I want to give you. I know that you have no intention of ever ending this extortion. <laughs> Walk of yours, that foot you drag along, Gimpy. You look like. Gimpy, stay away from me. Stay away. Gimpy, put down that nut. Gimpy, I was only kidding. I was only. Don't do it. Don't kill her. Stay where you are, my friend. You're too late. You have eyes. Whoever you are, you have. You've seen too much. There's nothing against you, but for obvious reasons. Go ahead, you're a very brave man. You've killed a woman. So I can't expect any consideration merely because I'm blind. Blind? Look at my eyes. If you don't believe me. I see. You are blind. How'd you get into this house? I don't know. I was out walking and I lost my way. For once, you're blind. Bless you. There we are. What are you going to do? I'll find out soon. Ah, here they are. 
Captain. What is poison? Swallow it and don't ask questions. No, I won't. Which do you prefer, the capsule or the knife? Give me the capsule. Better. Here's the water. I'm sure you'll find the pill very helpful in soothing your nerves. about putting some more ice on his head. I hope it's all right, officer. I'll try it. Oh. Oh. Gordon. Gordon, can you hear me? Uh, Dolly? I, I don't try to get up here. You're to stay in bed. Doctor's orders. That's right, young man. Better listen to your aunt. Who are you? I've never heard your voice before. He's a police officer, Gordon. A policeman? But I... I don't understand. How did I get here in my room? It couldn't have been a dream. Well, could have been. I found you in the empty lot just down the block, sleeping like a babe you were. And it wasn't a dream. Officer, I got into the wrong house by mistake. There was a murder. A man called Gibby killed a woman named Kate. Gordon, what are you talking about? She was blackmailing him, so he killed her. I saw it. I mean... I was just outside the room when it happened in the house, Gordon. Why let yourself get all excited? You you just had a bad dream. It wasn't a dream. Listen to me. There was a murder and I was there. I was there and I saw it. The next day when Aunt Sally took me for a walk in the park, she told me that the police had investigated and found nothing. Maybe the whole thing had been a dream. But in my ear, I could still hear the sound of Gimpy's dragging foot. Tired, Gordon? Well, not a bit, Aunt Sally. I'm glad you're looking much better. I think the sunshine will do you a world of good. It's been so long since I saw the sun, I've almost forgotten what it looks like. I talked to Dr. Edwards this morning. He's confident the operation will be a success. Well, I hope so. So, here's a bench, Gordon. Now, you sit here till I get back. I'm going to do my shopping for supper. All right. You won't be gone long, will you? Only 45 minutes or an hour at most. Now, remember, wait here. Goodbye, Gordon. I'll be here, Aunt Sally. Bye. I leaned back on the park bench. Somewhere, children were playing happily. I heard old man Moran and his carriage go by. The sun was warm and rest. A little too restful. I dozed off. How long I was asleep, I don't know. But as I half-wakened, a strange thing happened. I shivered. I was sitting in the hot afternoon sun, yet I shivered with that strange, razor-edged sixth sense a blind man has. I knew that someone was watching me. Aunt Sally. Aunt Sally, is that you? At that first twisted sound, I knew who was watching me. It was Gimpy. He was coming toward me. For a split second, I forgot that I was blind. Without thinking, I ran. The winding path was too much for me. I felt my foot hook under the wire of a low fence watering the path. My body plunged forward, and I sprawled headlong on the grass. This is coming nearer and nearer. I couldn't move. And there was only one thing to do. Help! Somebody help! Somebody help! Help! Where's Sally? Where's Sally? Did you see him? See who? The killer. The man with the main foot. He was here. Gordon, there's no one here except some children. Then take me home, Aunt Sally. Quick. I don't want him watching this. For the next two weeks, I stayed in the house. 
Aunt Sally begged me to go out for a walk in the sun, but I wasn't going to budge until it was time to go to the hospital for my operation. I knew that someday I'd see again. If only I got to the operating table alive. As I imagine Nolan's life from what I've seen and heard of it, he must have been after that. And Aunt Sally took the reading to me every night after supper. Shakespeare, the, the Bible, Time magazine, short stories. Sometimes she'd finish a whole book before I'd fall asleep. Told me once with a grave smile. Aunt Sally. Yes, Gordon. Had enough for tonight? Aunt Sally. Do you hear it? Hear what? I, I don't hear anything here. You must hear him. You must. Look out of the window. He's walking by the house. Gordon, stop it. I tell you, I don't hear anything, and neither do you. I do, I do. I'm going to call the doctor. And Sally, don't leave me. Hello, operator. Maybe she hadn't heard Gimpy. A blind man's ears can hear things other folks can't. By now, his dragging footstep was gone. But the warning it had sent through the open window of my room stayed with me. Somewhere outside, he was waiting for me. With the patience of a cat waiting for a mouse. Yes. Yes, I I want to speak to Dr. Edwards. What? Oh, but that's impossible. He was to operate on my nephew day after tomorrow. Well, when did it? Oh. Oh. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. But what about the upper... Oh, I see. But you are sure he's competent. Well, Dr. Edwards had examined Gordon several times, so he knew exactly what had to be done. I understand. Yes. Yes, he'll be there. Goodbye. And Sally, what's the matter? It's bad news, Gordon. Dr. Edwards died late this afternoon. Died? How? A heart attack. A heart attack? Are they sure? Whatever made you say a thing like that? Sometimes it might look like a heart attack and be something else. Something else? What are you getting at, Gordon? Nothing. Nothing at all, Aunt Sally. What about the operation? That will go as scheduled. Dr. Edward's practice will be taken over by another eye surgeon, a friend of his. But this new man doesn't know about my case. He doesn't know whether... He will, Gordon. He'll study all his history from Dr. Edward's files. And see if you can get some sleep. You need it with the operation only two days away. The evening before the operation, Aunt Sally took me to the hospital. And the nurse was making out a report on my physical condition. I was glad it wasn't a report on my mental state. Well, that's all for now, Mr. Gray. I've got to turn this report in to Dr. Johnson. Is there anything I can get for you before I go? No, nurse. Nothing. Well, if there should be, there's a call bell hanging right on the head of your bed. Here it is. Feel it? Oh, yes, thank you. Nurse. Yes? Is, Is Dr. Johnson here in the hospital now? Well, I don't know. I haven't seen him this evening. But maybe he won't be here tomorrow. Maybe you'd better call him right now. I want to make sure he's all right. You're just nervous about the operation. I can see that. No. There's nothing the matter with Dr. John. I hope you're right. Well, I'll have to go now. We're very short of nurses. Now, remember, just push the button if you want anything. <laughs> You know what I was thinking on that hospital bed? That Gimpy had murdered Dr. Edwards. Somehow he had found out that Dr. Edwards was going to operate on me. So he killed him. He could have done it. He would do anything to keep me from seeing again. <laughs> 
because he knew that as soon as I could use my eyes, I'd find him and turn him over to the police for murder. That's what I was still thinking in the morning, as I waited for them to come and take me to the operating... <clears throat> then I heard him again, right here in the hospital. He was walking along the corridor outside my room. Maybe he was looking for me, or for Dr. Johnson. He'd already killed a woman named Kate, and maybe Dr. Edwards, too. Why should he hesitate? One more murder. Dragging footsteps died away. I tried to call for someone. I couldn't. My voice was frozen in my throat. The call bell. The call bell on the head of my bed. I broke for it. And pressed it. And pressed it. Nothing happened. As I waited, I changed my mind about telling what I had heard. They wouldn't believe me. And there was always the possibility that they'd postpone the operation because of my disturbed state of mind. I couldn't let that happen. I'd waited too long for this day. I wanted to have it over to... See, the call light over your door is on. Uh, what can I do for you? I uh, I was just wondering, nurse. Do you think you could get me a cup of coffee? Oh, I'm afraid not. No stimulants this morning. As a matter of fact, I've got something here for your nerves. Nurse, did you see Dr. Johnson? No, but he's here somewhere in the hospital. Oh, good. Now, look, Mr. Gray, there's nothing to worry about. Dr. Johnson is a very competent eye surgeon, one of the best. When, when do I go up? It won't be long now. Drink your medicine. Oh, what'd you say it is? Just something to settle your nerves. Drink it down. That's it. All of it. Uh, oof. It must be wonderful medicine. It tastes so terrible. <laughs> Here, let me fix your pillow. Oh, thanks. There. Comfortable? Oh, fine, thanks. Oof. Ah, uh, this is very comfortable. That nerve stuff she gave me was sleeping medicine. I don't even remember her leaving the room. Inhale. The next thing I knew was that I had a mask over my face. It was hard to breathe. Inhale. The stuff I was inhaling made me a little sick. Oh, inhale. I didn't need eyes to know that I was in the operating room. Everything ready? Yes, but Dr. Johnson will want to check when he comes in. Where is he now? In the dressing room. He ought to be here in a moment. Isn't this the case Dr. Edwards was supposed to handle? Yes. Too bad he had to die so young. He was a great eye surgeon. But then I have him. Here comes Dr. Johnson. Dr. Johnson was here. What a relief. A great weight was lifted from my heart. But only for a moment. Because through the fog of my half-dead mind, I heard the dragging footsteps of the man who was going to operate on my eyes. We'll proceed with the operation. I wanted to cry for help and run from the room. But I was too far under the heat.
and you're back in your room. The operation is over. How do you feel? My, my head hurts a little. What have I got on my face? Bandages. They'll have to stay on for a week or ten days after that. Could I have been dreaming? What? Where is, where is Dr. Johnson? I'm here, my friend. Then what a dream. I do not like to be called that. I suppose you think you've gotten away with something. You've made it impossible for me ever to see again. Well, that won't help you a single bit. I'll still get you if it's the last time. Dr. Johnson said you would be all right. All right. They'll take the bandages off in a week or ten days. And by that time, he'll be thousands of miles from here. Not quite that far, my friend. Then you admit. Yes. I do. And what about that woman? The woman you murdered? My wife. For six years, I'd asked her to give me a divorce. Unless she agreed after I'd given her practically everything I owned in the world except my surgical instrument and my cane. But when I saw her demands would never end, and she'd always be asking more, I had to kill her. You were as good as convicted yourself by confessing all this to my aunt and me. Yes, I know that. I was the only witness to your crime. In the operating room this morning, you could have seen to it that I would always be a blind witness. My friend, I considered that. Yes, I even tried many times to kill you. I thought about it again as I started to operate. But you were my patient then. I had been a doctor for a good many years. My practice was the one good thing left in my life. I could not betray it, even to save myself. Doctor, I owe you a deep apology. In a week, you will have the use of your eyes. In a few years, as you grow older, you will see many things more clearly. I'm ready, officer. Then we'd better be going, doctor. Seven days later, they took off the bandages. And gradually, the world came back into focus. The shining brown eyes of my Aunt Sally... The white sheets of my hospital bed, the blue sky outside my window, the rainbow of flowers next to my bed. And since that afternoon, I have never seen, and I probably never will see, the man who gave me back my sight. Today's Grand Central Station drama, The Man I'll Never See, was written by Stanford Pleasant. And star Donald Buker as Gordon Gray, with Evelyn Varden as Aunt Sally and Raymond Edward Johnson as Dr. Johnson. That's the Relic Radio Show for this week. I'll be back next Tuesday with another hour. In between now and then, you can find more from the shows you heard today, past episodes of the Relic Radio Show, all the other podcasts, and thousands of other old-time radio episodes, and a shoutcast stream, all at relicradio.com. If you'd like to help support Relic Radio in its 15th year, you can do so from the website as well. Click on the donate link or visit donate.relicradio.com. We've got some downloadable sets for certain donation amounts, so any amount is always helpful and appreciated. Thanks as always to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Tuesday with another episode of the Relic Radio Show.